Hi everyone, welcome back to Resilient Together. I'm Maisara and today I'll be hosting this episode with my dear colleague Alia. Hi Alia, how are you? Hi Maisara, I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's so nice to have you here. Alia, can you tell us what we're going to talk about today? Today we have a very interesting topic. We'll be talking about food, more specifically about food security and the efforts to reduce food waste in our cities. So in this episode, we have the Lost Food Project, a pioneering food bank and food rescue that aims to divert edible and nutritious food surplus from the landfill. So these food supplies are then redistributed to communities in need. As their motto says, feed the hungry and not the landfill. That's right. So we'll be speaking to Encik Shazwan Mohta, the general manager of Lost Food Project Malaysia. He began his work with the Lost Food Project in November 2019, just before you know, COVID-19 hit Malaysia and has since been heavily involved in steering the organisation throughout the storm of COVID-19. Hi, Encik Shazwan. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, you know, before we start, can you tell us more about yourself? Yep. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I mean, this is a very, a very good topic to discuss, especially uh, very relevant during this time. Uh, Shazwan, as you mentioned, my name is Shazwan, uh, the general manager of the Lawsuit Project. I've been with um, the Lawsuit Project, I guess, exactly two years since I joined in 2019. Um, you know, before this, I was also with the Islamic State Government. I was policy advisor to one of the exco. Um, I did a lot of uh, other works as well. I was also involved in a humanitarian NGO uh, mm. quite some time ago in 2012. So, um, yeah. That, that's quite an amazing uh, journey. Um, so, Lost Food Project, what, what is the story behind it? Right, so um, the Lost Food Project itself is a food bank NGO um, that is, I guess, when it was established back around 2015. Uh, of course, it's formally uh, registered in 2016, but when it was kind of in the nascent stages back in 2015, it was established as a more structured kind of food bank because you, you see a lot of different community food banks, you know, people putting uh, food at, um, you know, in front of restaurants or at masjids and, and community areas and all that. So that, that is one kind of food banking, right? So that's, that's like a community food bank. But the way it is structured uh, for the Lawsuit Project, we were kind of taking leave from organizations um, in other parts of the world, you know, Fair Share in the UK, for example. So taking, you know, guidance from that kind of structure and organization, um, it became kind of a bit more logistics uh, driven NGO, you know, focus on volunteer work and so on. So, you know, as, as a food bank, it is mainly to collect, you know, surplus food, food that I would otherwise get thrown away, food that would otherwise end up in landfill. So these are still quality indeed, you know, not expired food. Although there, there can be some expired food, but, you know, there are some debates with regard to expiry and Best Buy and so on and so forth. Um, so that is how that is in terms of just its objective, it's, you know, why why it started, you know, the, the real reason why it happened was because of um, the founder, Suzanne Mooney, when she was here, um, you know, she was an expatriate living in Malaysia. Um, you know, she saw a box of banana at a supermarket and I thought maybe that's something that would otherwise benefit other people. And when the store manager kind of confirms that it would 
was was going to get thrown away, uh, she just picked it up and and sent it over to charity upon mm-hmm. getting her, uh, you know the store manager's permission. So, uh, it started from there. It started from very small groups, you know, small volunteer groups and people who knows each other and you know from the back of the car, from the side of the road, from somebody's house and so on. So it grew to to what it is now, you know, having warehouse and trucks and so on so um the main idea behind it is really to just rescue all the food waste and you know we, we talk about food waste being uh, a great contributor to waste at landfill it's more than 48 percent uh, of landfill waste uh, which is a lot more than for example plastic which is about 19 percent um so it is a source of waste and but but really it is more than that because we do not like to call it waste per se mm. uh, a lot of this food are surplus or byproducts you know it can still be consumed it can still be can still benefit a lot of people you know um so it's not waste in that sense the fact that it can still benefit those who that are hungry those that are in, in need um i think um it's it's a win-win kind of situation for people who otherwise you know it just becomes nothing in the end yeah yeah for sure and it's amazing to know how you know it all just started from that one simple intention or that feeling alamak sayangnya kalau buang semua ni still can be eaten right and and that vision you know brought together pe- different people who believe in the same thing and you know doing what it is today um is is lost fruit project only based in klang valley or do you expand outside of this area we are mainly operational in Klang Valley, but of course we also have an operation in Johor Bahru. We are starting operations in Penang as well. A very small operation, very volunteer-based operation. Um, apart from that, we have connections and networks all over Malaysia. So we have, for example, this year sent out and distributed uh, food to just about everywhere in Malaysia. You know, Terengganu, Kelantan, Sabah, Sarawak. We've also done like and all that. But operationally, um, you know, having uh, having more regular kind of operation, uh, we are in Klang Valley, Johor Bahru, and also uh, Penang. Okay. How would you identify which communities would be in need, like that you were would distribute your food to? Right. How does that work? So our model is a bit more kind of network, a network model. We, we are platform-based model more or less. Um, so what that means is that rather than us you know doing the collection and doing the distribution ourselves that would require a lot of resources a lot of manpower right so because we collect box and box of goods and we collect 2.5 tons of vegetables daily for example um that requires partnerships and networks so how we identify is that we we know people who are already on the ground doing the good work you know we have ngos and charities you know those that feed the homeless those that um you know uh houses, uh, people with disabilities, children, orphanages, elderly, and so on. So um, there are two basically two categories of um, beneficiary, beneficiary partner, uh, so to say. Um, the first one are the NGOs and charities. You know, these are the ones that cater to again orphanages, the homeless, and so on. And the other one are the those that cater to B40 families uh, living in B40 communities. So these are the ones that uh, lives in PPRs, cluster homes, public housing, and so on. So for the first one, we work with charities, NGOs. Uh, for the second category, we work with you know, local governments, residents association, parliamentarians, and so on. So when we work with all these different organizations and different partners, and uh, so they already have their, the form of um, identification for themselves. So they identify their beneficiaries. They already have people in their database. If you work with a food bank, for example, uh, a community food bank, 
they already have people registered with them, you know, that regularly receives um, help. Also, similarly, if you work with parliamentarians or resident association, they already have a database of people what you need, people who are already kind of um, uh, a regular uh, beneficiary for them, right? So we work with all these partners in order for us to be able to reach out to a lot more people. So that's how we identify. Um, we don't necessarily identify each individual that we, we help but rather we identify the partners that are able to reach out to these individuals. So that allows us to reach out to maybe 8,000 to 10,000 people on a weekly basis. Um, yeah, so it's a bit different in the sense that um, we're not on the ground ourselves feeding and you know, cooking the meals for them, but this creates a bit more of an efficient model. Um, and also it, it does allow us to, to reach out to more people and expand to a lot more parties. So you mentioned that like uh, your beneficiaries are the NGOs and the B40s and then your objective is to reduce the food waste to go to land, landfills, right? How do you build partnership with your source of food? So like I, I, I do know that you know you work with uh, village grocer and stuff like that. Mm. So how do you get buy-in from your food producers? Okay, um, great question. I think one of the main, I think, aspects of working with the Lost Soul Project is, first of all, um, we are probably the only NGO, or maybe not the only NGO, but we are one of the uh, more, more prominent NGO that works on the aspect of uh, environmental sustainability when it comes to food security. Uh, so it's not just about giving back to the people, it's also about saving the environment. So we count every uh, kilogram food that we collect, uh, we count every greenhouse gas emission that we rescue from all this food. So every data is available. So you know, having to convince our partners, you know, the food donors, it's not just about, oh, we're giving away your food. You know, it's also about how much are you saving uh, in terms of uh, rescuing food from going to landfill. You know, how much carbon uh, offsetting that you are, you know, uh, you are contributing to with, with regard to this particular partnership. So that's, that's one way that we, we try to kind of get a buy-in. First of all, because a lot of these manufacturers and producers, they uh, there is some realization that their production and their uh, you know their business basically contributes to some form of uh, environmental pollution in a way, right? Because of the whole factory industrialization um, aspect of it. So so that's one way to for to get buy-in. Secondly, um, we have very strong. Uh, standard operating procedures. We we are very um, kind of aware of the level of commitment that we have to place in terms of getting food and distributing to people. You know, not not allowing this food to be then sold to the black market. Uh, not, you know, making sure that this food goes to the right people, goes to uh, people who are in need. Uh, so this this I think that we have standards in place to ensure it happens. You know, and we have. Thirdly, we have the network of beneficiaries. So we act as a center fulcrum in this, this whole ecosystem of um, beneficiary network and also logistics and, and, and donor partnerships. So, so when we are at the center of it, becoming sort of a liaison or coordinator between big parties, you know, the, the manufacturers, the suppliers, uh, working and distributing to the smaller charities and NGOs and families and so on. So 
there is a trust system there there's also confidence built in there so and in in order to have that we have to have that level of sops and standards that we we are uh, we have developed over time so i think that's that's a way that we get that buy in because you know to be to be perfectly i guess frank it's just that you know, a lot of people wants to do the charity but having to deal for example if you are a big manufacturer you want to give away your food you have to deal with 10 different charities maybe you know talking to 10 different people and working with 10 different organizations getting 10 different kind of uh, credibility studies and all that but we, when you work with the law so project you're working with one, one party that, that has a network of 70 charities so it's easier for this big corporate to just work with one you know one party that that can then um, i guess uh, web it to different organizations as well i have a follow-up question on that so um your food source is mostly on corporations right are you only looking at corporations only or are you also looking at community farms are you looking at local producers yeah um no we basically we we are open to just about anyone who wants to donate food uh, you know especially surplus food you know some people tend to also donate food which are not necessarily surplus but if you're donating for the purpose of giving back to the society we're, we're fine with that uh, you know some restaurants want to do cook meals for us and we, we're okay with that bakeries give their surplus you know big goods that they cannot sell on the day we're fine with that as well you know when we work with and our biggest contributor is actually Pasaburong Kuala Lumpur. You know, vendors at Pasaburong Kuala Lumpur, there's more than 200 of them. Uh, we work with maybe 40 to 50 of those vendors that regularly distribute or uh, give away their vegetables to us on a daily basis. So, you know, they are the ones that gives us the most surplus daily. So basically, we get around maybe, you know, on a bad day, you can get about 100, 500 kilograms of vegetables, fresh green vegetables that they are not able to sell on the day. On a very good day, we can get a um, good day for us, not necessarily for the vendors, um, about five tons, even, you know, 4.5, five tons. So these are farmers, uh, these are vendors that get their produce from local farmers from Cameron Highlands and so on. But we also have partnerships with smallholder farmers. You know, we, we one example is Abundant Ventures. They, they regularly provide for us chilies. Uh, and then they also um, have a group of smallholder farmers that they, they kind of, collaborate with uh, to get other kind of vegetables you know we get pumpkins from them we, we just got i think for the past three weeks we've been getting about three tons and four tons of pumpkins from them and these are smallholder farmers they, they're not um big corporate and all that so yeah there, there are a variety of different um contributors to our course and and i think um again we welcome just for anyone who wants to give but again, of course, you know, the big, the bigger guys, the bigger corporate, they are able to give a lot more because of the size of their production. Right? So, so, you know, that gets highlighted as well. So on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, how much waste are you, do you manage to avoid, you know, ending up on the landfills? You know, if you can share some figures. Very good spin to it. Um, basically, this year has been a record year for us with done more than 1.1 million kilogram of food collected and distributed just this year alone uh vesting the past five years to be honest it's uh last year was about 480 the year before was 490,000. um the year previous to that was about 250 so it it of course the trend is always going up but this year we've kind of triple uh, you know even quadruple our, our output uh, for collection so i would say this year we've collected more or less around 
about 100 ton a month. So that's about 25 tons mm. a week uh, in terms of food. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, you, you're getting a lot of lot more donations of food and but how do you identify the needs of your beneficiary mm. because i think like different people have different nutrition needs different people have different different food intake yeah. so then on that, how do you identify that you know these food are not being wasted and is not being given to a, a different different need or different group we are very cognizant of the fact as well. We are very aware that we need to ensure that the surplus that we collect are then not wasted. So that's why we try not to, first of all, um, flood the market, you know, not doing what others are doing as well. Like, you know, if you already, you know, you see it in Ram- during Ramadan times, the one homeless person might have 10 packs of food, you know, um, that he can only eat one. Uh, so what we try to do is we try to really understand our beneficiaries. We try to understand our partners. Uh, we have, for example, with our charities, with more than 70, 80 charities that we work with, we have liaisons for each of them. So uh, each liaison, um, volunteer liaison from our side will then kind of identify and we do audits. We try to understand what their needs are. So when we receive food, for example, when we receive bitter gourd from, from the market, we won't send it to orphanages. No, we know the kids won't like it, right? So we send it to more elderly homes, maybe they might be able to appreciate it more. Similarly with oats, you know, oats doesn't, doesn't fit in well with orphanages, with the small children um, homes. So we send it to more mature audience. Um, with, you know, B40 communities, with the PPRs and all that, it's a bit easier because of the number of people that's out there. You know, one single PPR area might have between 2,000 to 10,000 people um, living within that threshold of B40. Um, so, you know, identifying the right people that wants to take all these products, they also um, know what they want. You know, when, when it comes to charities and homes, uh, it's a bit more kind of uh, controlled environment. So if you give this to them, they will eat it. You know, they will kind of consume whatever it's given. With PPRs, they can be a bit picky, you know. So if we are to kind of put it there for them on on a on a table, like these are what we're giving. So if they don't want it, they won't take it. There will be others that want it, you know. So um, so it's it's that's how it works. I guess identifying the right groups of people and understanding the, the groups of people that we work with, and especially our partners are very helpful on this on this end as well. I have a general idea of what Lost Fruit Project is doing because I went to one of your volunteer uh, briefing with Pippa. Yeah. Uh, so I was just wondering, you, you were talking about like um, Lost Fruit Project is more than a food bank. It's, it's somewhat like a logistics uh, process. Could you share with us a little bit more about your logistics process? Like... How do you attain your food? And then how do you distribute it? And then how do you connect yourself with your charities? At the end of the day, how do you get it to your beneficiary? All right, so you, you want the end, the end process kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fairly simple, to be honest. Um, okay, if you want to go from that um, food point of view, um, from, from food procurement point of view, we randomly kind of email people and corporates and all that we want this we want that you know sometimes they come to us you know 
mm-hmm. the benefit of getting our names out there and doing a lot of PR work and social media and all that is that we get recognized and people then come to us. You know, I do a lot of talks. I've done more than 100 talks this year um, and, you know, get get people to kind of approach us and, and from, from all different angles and from all different industries. But generally, we, we approach them. We want to do this. This is what we can offer. Uh, do you have any surplus? So once that happens, they can be either they want to provide ad hoc. So some provide ad hoc. So, you know, these are the ones that just have, maybe this is the one time that we want to give. Right? So we have 80 cartons of this, take it, and then we will distribute it and then we'll provide you the report. The other one are the ones that wants to be a bit more kind of a regular partner. So the regular partners, we will have an agreement with them. So we prepare an agreement. It's already templated. So they will look at it, you know, all the legal for the next two to three weeks. Uh, once that's done, then we have a bit more of a commitment from them. So they will then try to provide for us regularly. Um, so usually, again, it's not scheduled per se. The, the, the fresh produce... Uh, you know, the, the perishable items and vegetables, it's easier to kind of gauge uh, whether we'll receive one next week. So that one is a bit more scheduled. The ones that comes from manufacturers, you know, the cereal boxes, the, the peanut butters and all that, uh, are a bit ad hoc because it depends on whether or not they are able to sell the stock. You know, once the st- new stock comes in, the old stock that ne- needs to be replaced, will, those are the ones that give, they give to us. So it can come at any point of time. So once they have the surplus, they will call us up, then we will prepare the schedule, we prepare the collection uh, schedule and all that. So sometimes uh, they distribute to us, sometimes we go and collect because you know, we also have our trucks, but our trucks are just three of it that works daily. Um, so once we collect from the from the vendor, you know, then we do the sorting. The sorting involves basically um, us identifying which partner it should go to. So we have charities and we have B40 community partners. So we try to be equitable in the sense that uh, we might have 100 boxes. If there are about 10 charities that we want to give to, the bigger charities or the, the, the charities that have more number of people will give a bit more. So, you know, we, we look at it from an equitable kind of perspective. And then we distribute to our partners. You know, identifying the partners, again, when it first started, it was just us you know, getting introduced to different people or partners coming to us and all that. So now we also have a lot of people wanting to give, hey, wanting to, to uh, be beneficiaries, be partners with us. So we have to do a bit of uh, partner identification. We do uh, assessment, evaluation, audit to identify these partners to ensure that they have the right documentation, they have the right procedures and the right item, uh, you know, the right facilities to, to be able to collect food or be able to store food and so on. So um, so I guess that's the end to end of it. And then once the partners do the distribution for us, you know, whether it's the B40 partners or the charities and NGOs, we'll get a report from them and then at the end of the month, we'll send a report back to our donors. So that process is uh, it's helped by the food surplus donation contracts that you forge with your partners? Yeah, so we also have a we have, we have two way uh, we have two kind of agreements. The one we send with our food donors, also the one we have with our beneficiary partners. So even the charities and NGOs have to sign an agreement with us. Even the parliamentarian have to sign an agreement with us to ensure that these items go to the right people. It doesn't go to the it doesn't get resold or anything like that. So yeah, it's it's kind of secured um, in black and white whole process. Yeah. So that was part one of our conversation with Encik Shazwan of The Lost Food Project. 
We couldn't stop there, so we're going to continue this conversation in part two, where we'll explore further the issue of food security in Malaysian cities and try to understand from Cik Shazwan, you know, what we as Malaysians can do better in terms of managing our food waste and building up our food security. So, see you then! <laughs>